All right, guys, I got to throw this out there. Some information came out uh, today, recently. We recorded our podcast yesterday, and I wanted to get this in there in today's podcast. Uh, there's been a update to uh, some information from Paul Vincent. From uh, He used to be the uh, skills coach for the Blackhawks, and this is dealing the, with the investigation. TSN uh, spoke with Paul Vincent, uh, Rick, Rick Westhead did, and um, wrote an article, released it today, and I'm going to summarize some of the article and uh, and some new information that's come out. So head over to TSN. Uh, Rick Westhead wrote the article, and uh, check it out if you want to read it, but I'm going to summarize it here for you today. The former Chicago Blackhawks skill coach told uh, TSN's Rick Westhead he will not cooperate in an investigation into the team's alleged mishandling of sexual assault claims in 2010 unless the findings are publicly released. Uh, Vincent told TSN in a meeting in San Jose, California with then Blackhawks President John McDonough, Vice President of Hockey Operations Al McIsaac, GM Stan Bowman, and team sports psychologist James Gary ahead of the Western Conference final in 2010. He shared allegations from two Blackhawks players who said then-video coach Brad Aldrich sexually assaulted them. Vincent, a former law enforcement officer in Massachusetts, said he asked the team to contact the sex crimes division of the Chicago police. Vincent said the front office declined to do so. We know all of this already, but I just want to say it for for context. Um, The Blackhawks are in the middle of two lawsuits right now. While the team has filed a motion to dismiss both cases, the Blackhawks retained the law firm Jerem Block to conduct an investigation into the matter. Vincent is now the second prominent figure central to the investigation to pressure the Blackhawks to make its findings public. Now, I remember the Blackhawks a couple weeks ago mentioning that they would make the findings public, but maybe, I don't know why they're, why this is coming out that it, you know, that there's for some reason they think it's not going to be public anymore. The lawyer for the Chicago Blackhawks, a Chicago player suing the team, said her client, known in court documents as John Doe Number One, will not cooperate with the General Block probe, citing the team's actions leading up to the announcement of the investigation. The Blackhawks have been uh, lying all along, denying in court documents that this sexual misconduct even took place. So why would we have any faith now in an investigation that has been paid for by the Blackhawks? Attorney Susan Loggins told Westhead on July 9th. Also, there's no assurance from anyone, not at the Blackhawks and not at the NHL, that the results of the team's investigation will be made public. Why would we bother to participate in an investigation that may ultimately be buried and hidden from public view? Loggins said she would have allowed her client to participate in the team investigation if Jenner and Block had agreed to her interviewing Bowman, McIsaac, Gary, and McDonough. Logan said the request was denied. Now, Rick West had, um, had also uh, sent a message to Joel Quenville saying, uh, this is from his Twitter, former Chicago coach Joel Quenville denies he had knowledge of the abuse allegations before this year. Quenville, this is a quote from him, I have contacted the Blackhawks organization to let them know I will support and participate in the independent review. An update. After Joel Quinville's statement yesterday, I asked him through Panthers to I'm sorry, Panthers spokeswoman how Brad Aldrich, his video coach in Chicago for two seasons, could have been fired by the Blackhawks in 2010 without Quinville being given an ex- an explanation. The Panthers have uh, have not responded. So, on Tuesday, 
Blackhawks defenseman Brent Sopol urged his former teammates to begin telling the truth publicly. About being aware of the allegations at the time, Sopol said the allegations were discussed by the players in the locker room during the Western Conference Final. I'd say pretty much every player said, holy shit, and was shocked by it, Sopol said to Westhead. We were all in the same dressing room. It was something that was discussed for at least two or three days. Then head coach Joel Quenville was in the same office as Eldridge we had heard about. Then assistant coach John Torchetti told Westhead he recalls Vincent telling him that he advised the front office to call the Chicago police but does not remember Vincent explaining the outcome of the meeting. It's so upsetting. It's so glaring because of what this guy was able to do after he left the Blackhawks, Torchetti said. You have to know what kind of guy Paul Vincent is. This guy is loyal to a fault, the most loyal guy you can, you are going to meet in the game. His background helps explain why he gets so upset about these issues like abuse. No timeline has been provided for the completion of the general block investigations. Now, the former Chicago Blackhawks players from that team have been asked to uh, to, to partake in the investigation, uh, but they have they have said that uh, they won't do it unless their um, their lawyers can be present. Uh, with them while they do it, which is understandable. Now, the the couple things here. Number one is that the Blackhawks are looking to see what legally they are responsible for here. And as I mentioned in an article that I wrote and I, I released this past weekend, you can check it out on the FHN net. And I'll also I will also link it into the description of these of this podcast. That the Blackhawks, on one hand, they want to see if they are legally bound in any way to have notified the the Chicago Police Sex Crime Division. Okay, on the other hand, you would think that there is a moral responsibility to do this. Okay, now, as what comes in business, what's legally right and what's morally right, a lot of times don't coincide. And it creates a really big gray area of what the right thing to do is. You know, obviously, they. Sh- I think that uh, considering that they had an employee with them that uh, that was um, being accused of sexual harassment, um, this should have been uh, this should have been uh, said. That something should have happened. An investigation should have happened then. It looks like McIsaac was. Um, was a part of this uh, more than I thought that he was. I thought he was more on the sideline and John McDonough was trying pretty much running the whole thing. But here's another quote from Paul Vincent. And this is pertaining to the meeting that he had with uh, John McDonough, uh, James Gary, Paul Isaac, and uh, Stan Bowman. I come in and and Al McIsaac says to me, what do you know? Vincent said. I said the same thing I told Gary Higgins, and with that, Al McIsaac did the most of the speaking. He said, we've got it handled. You're assuming something happened, and we're going to look into it. You don't need to look into it anymore, Vincent said. He advised the executives to report the alleged abuse to the police. I'd say to them, I think you need to call the Chicago PD and have them quietly investigate, Vincent told the Jenner and Black investigators. That's what McIsaac said. You don't need to worry about this. We'll take care of it. You can leave now. So I walk outside. Two of the coaches are still waiting for me, John Torchetti and Mike Havland. I said, you won't believe what just happened. I explained it, and we went off to dinner. So it looks like McIsaac was possibly running the show. Either way, it's under John McDonough's uh, watch. He is ultimately responsible, too. There has been no admission here that Stan Bowman 
was responsible for any part of this. Um, to be honest with you, who knows if they're trying to t- keep him clear? Who knows if they're going to have McIsaac and uh, and John McDonough fall on the sword here? A-, a lot of people are calling for the entire front office to be to be fired. Um, and to be honest with you, as as this gets uglier and uglier, um, that may need to happen to save face with with the organization. Even if Stan Bowman wasn't directly involved, he is linked to this because he was there in the room at the time, and he might just have to uh, fall, fall on the sword as well. Uh, really interesting. I don't know what is going to happen here. Everybody wants Stan gone anyways, so... Um, so that doesn't, uh, that doesn't really matter. People are just looking for him to go. Um, but I mean, there's, there is a uh, possibility here that he didn't have much to do with the cover up, but was aware of it. If so, um, it's, it's going to be time for him to go and, and they may have to clean house just to get the credibility back, uh, with their fan base and, and, and possibly across the league. You know, the Blackhawks were known as having a, a very good organization that took care of their players and took care of their families. And this really just shits over the whole thing. And it's it's terrible to hear. And um, it's brutal. And I hope that when this investigation is done and, and all the chips fall where they may, that, um, that they will do the right thing and what's appropriate. And, uh, and then we can all move forward as a fan base and, and get back to rooting and, and cheering about hockey and, and worrying about th- those things instead of um, you know, these kinds of issues and going forward, hopefully that uh, CEO Danny Wirtz does a, does a good job of, of fostering a good culture uh, amongst the front office in, in doing the right thing. And um, and, and, and going forward, uh, he having an open policy so that players can feel free to come to the front office and air their grievances and know that they'll be heard and and be taken care of by the uh, by the organization. So. I'm going to cue in now the the, uh, the podcast that we had previously recorded. I wanted to put this in here today because I, I thought that it was very important. Uh, I know everybody would want to hear about it, and I'm, I'm curious to hear what everybody has to say about it. So hit us up on Twitter uh, at Chicago at Tomahawk Chicago. Uh, let, let's talk about it. What does everybody think other than Hang Bowman? Uh, and how do we move forward? You know what? I'm sorry. There's one more thing that I want to say is that it was known that at the time that that Aldrich had a 14-year-old boy stay weekends at his apartment. Vincent said this, Paul Vincent, adding that he understood the boy's family was a, was close to Aldrich. He was a family friend. That's what he was told. Vincent told Shar, adding that the boy has developed into a pretty successful hockey player, moved along and became an NHL player. So, I, there might be some pool asking, who is this kid who is a uh, NHL player now in the league? Uh, a pretty successful player, apparently. But Vincent declined to say who that player was, rightfully so. And um, it's just like the plot just thickens and thickens and thickens uh, with this thing. So um, anyways, let me know what you guys got. I'm curious to hear what you have to say. Thank you for following the podcast. Me and Matt are very appreciative. And uh, here we go. Welcome back to the Chicago Tomahawk. I'm Mike. I got my linemate Matt with me. And we'd like to give a big shout out to the F- at FHN for for uh, reposting our, our post on Twitter. We, we really appreciate it. Uh, we're an FHN podcast. 
and we um, essentially write articles for the network. They've got hockey news on there for you guys to check out. There's a lot of teams on there. Go to thefhn.net to uh, get your hockey news and and check out what else they have, other podcasts, other articles. It's awesome. So today uh, we're going to start off with uh, talking about Tonio. Uh, I met Tony Esposito about about 10 years ago. Oh, actually, it might have been longer. It was after the first. Yeah, it was longer after the first Hawks Cup run. Um, he signed a, a picture that I had of him, and he was a really nice guy. Um, he talked with me for a couple minutes, and uh, and he was just a really hus- hospitable guy. He usually could have just signed it and said, all right, get the hell out of here, but he didn't. You know, He was, he was really nice to me and, and really gracious, and uh, I'll definitely always remember that. Uh, and I'll definitely always remember about hearing about him for the first time. Uh, I think he got 15 shutouts in his rookie season. Is 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 that is that right? Yep, 15. That's still a record. Unbelievable, man. Yep, still a record. Uh, even his mask, you know, his mask was was awesome. You know, like that kind of Jason Voorhees. Yeah. You know, greatest uh, mask of all time. Yeah, that Friday yeah. the 13th mask, man. It was just it was just incredible. But um, I mean, I I didn't get to watch watch much of him i only i only got to saw you know old videos of him and stuff never got to see him in person but uh, he was a really nice guy to me what do you got matt yeah i'm I'm, from his highlights he was unbelievable he was one of the first butterfly style goalies and it kind of started in the late 60s and then since then it's like transformed i mean you have patrick wah yeah marty broder eddie belfour my hero who said Tony Esposito was awesome to him when he was coming up, young young guy, goalie in the uh, Blackhawks organization. And now, now look at the goalies. Everybody seems like a hybrid butterfly goalie, and he started that, man. So it's pretty cool. He's like a pioneer. How did he influence you personally as a goalie? Tony O, I, I mean, I really... I really didn't see much from him. I was more of an, an Eddie Belfour guy, but I wanted to have that flashy glove hand and, you know, just reading about Tony O, he, he was, I heard, like Troy Murray said in one of his tweets, he was a freak about guys touching his equipment. He was really like, just like an anal type of guy. Like there's, and Eddie Belfort was like that too. And big time, these goalies were just, uh, not head cases, but they just, you know, they, they had a certain like superstition and, um, game game preparation and they just stuck with it and i'm sure tony o was the same and uh you know i mean the guy had 423 wins in his career that's pretty freaking amazing and he did it with majority with the hawks 15 years man that's when's the last who's the last goalie we had that long was it crow maybe he i mean not that long but it was like what 10 years we had him yeah and it's amazing and montreal only you know, they kept him for a season and he was like 12-5, I think. And he had two shutouts and they just gave him to us. It's like, thank you. <laughs> and we, But we did the same thing with Boston with his brother, uh, Phil. We had right. him as a rookie. He was, Bobby Hall said, this was this guy's going to be the best power forward ever. And he was. And uh, we didn't learn from uh, Montreal's mistake. So we yeah, came no to kidding. Boston. Yeah. And they're both in the Hall of Fame. Yep, top 100 players. Uh, yeah, from what I've read and seen about Tony, he was just an awesome guy. Uh, I think he was one of the first 
owners of the the Lightning too. I know he lived uh, down in Tampa. My my dad actually ran into him a lot there, and I I know this uh, truck driver that stays down there in the summers, or I'm sorry, the winters. And um, he uh, saw Tony Esposito walking down the street. He goes, "Oh my gosh, this, you're my hero, man! Can I can I buy you a beer or something?" He's like, "No, no, no, come over. I'll buy you a beer." And th- he said he sat with Tony O for like three hours at the bar in Tampa, wow. just talking Blackhawks. Yeah. So that just tells you the guy he was. Just a great guy to everybody. Man, you know it's crazy to hear about some of these, you know, these old legends are are starting to pass away, you know, and it's just uh, it's just it's just rough to, uh, it's rough to hear. Obviously, nobody lives forever, you know. Yeah, it just we're getting older too, and then these guys <laughs> are. That's like I know these kids now coming up. It's jeez. Kirby Doc looks like he just got his license, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah, I know. And these guys are like, geez, like grandpas, great grandpas now, you know? Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. You know, it, what's the, what, what would you say is the typical, maybe the typical length for a an NHL, an, you know, an NHL career, like a regular guy? Oh, like a forward? Yeah, anybody. Or, yeah. Uh, oh, you, we can go through. Do you think that forwards have a longer life? Uh, than defensemen or, or goalies? I, I think if you're a good goalie, you're going to play for 15 to 20 years. Mm. Especially now, they're in better shape. Uh, they condition all year. Like Even like Dave Hansen said, I mean, in the summers, they just would party and let loose. And like he goes, now all these guys are, you know, they're training for the next season already. They're like Spartans. And... Um, I I think defensemen actually play long. You know, you obviously we, Chris Chelios played till he was like ninety four years old, and he looks bronzy. Uh, you had Nick Lindstrom played a long time. Uh, I think forwards once they start to, um, you know, get their their stats on the down the down end, they kind of fade away, and uh, they either go play somewhere else. Uh, or they just call it quits. I think Patrick Sharp is a good example of that. He, uh, I think he went to Dallas for two years after the Hawks, correct? And yeah. And we, we signed him back, and he just, you know, he wasn't the same player. And he's like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to quit while I'm still ahead. But then you got guys just signing one-year deals, just trying to make the team and probably pay for their kids' college. And, you know, but I think uh, forwards don't last as long. Defensemen and goalies probably will last a little bit longer. Yeah, it makes you think if if Joe Thornton is is uh, is of the latter there because you know I think that he wants to play next season, or is, is he one of those dudes where he just can't let it go? I he's hungry for a cup, man. He he wants yeah. his name on that cup. He he deserves it. I I hate the guy. I mean, I'm not gonna say he's a bad player. He's an amazing passer back in the day, and but you know, I mean, you look at your team and it's like. Oh, this guy made the team, and this kid's got to play another year in the minors. You know, like some kid that's real close. Yeah, I think his time might have passed. Yeah, for, uh, I mean, Jordan. he might need to get on a. His last year was his best chance. And yeah, it was. It. Well, it. it makes you think. Well, didn't the the Sharks made it to the what Western Conference Finals, and didn't they lose? Yeah, by us, twenty ten. We smoked no, no, them. no. I mean, after that. Oh, oh no! They made it to the final. Yeah, they, against... they lost. Yeah, against Pittsburgh, correct? I think Pittsburgh. I'd have to look that up. I'm pretty sure it's Pittsburgh. Yeah, they got smoked. And you know that what? Was that his, was that was his best chance right there. 
Yeah, I. You know what though? In 2010, a lot of experts picked San Jose to win the cup that year. Yeah, they're all smoking we, crack. We swept them. It, it wasn't. I mean, it was a close series. You know, it was pretty much overtime games, one nothing wins or three two wins, but they didn't even get one win. And I remember. Yeah, I remember that's when you got married too. I was that was my wedding. I uh, yeah, I apologize, but that game <laughs> on my wedding day, I, I think it was game three, and I, I believe Buff scored an OT, and that game I made like eight hundred bucks. <laughs> I got really? like four hundred dollars a ticket, and my buddy Joe, who actually stood up in my wedding, we do we banked and we paid for the next round with that money. <laughs> And we just kind of kept going, and we're like, dude, we got to sell. Well, the next round was the Stanley Cup Finals. Stanley Cup, yeah, we paid for it. And then we we sold game two, I believe, and we, I think we paid for the next season, the 2011 season. And, uh, dude, it was great. We we made a lot of money doing that, but it was good times. Well, yeah, the playoffs, I mean, they were just going for astronomical numbers. That yep. was the first year. 2015 it was just business as usual yeah i didn't uh, i got rid of my tickets after 2012 i think it was just getting too hard i had a baby and uh, it, it was the drive was getting annoying you know and paying for parking all that crap but it was fun though when, 41 uh, games a season too man yeah 41 games i tried to sell about i think we sold about 15 to 20 that year Okay. We made some money. We, I mean, if people like we knew, hey, can we? Can I get a game? I'd sell it face, you know, just so, you know, they can go. It was hard. A lot of people couldn't get a seat. And I know a lot of fans that I knew before this, the bandwagon wave came in. It's like these guys are taking up my, my. I can't get a. I can't get seats, you know, because these idiots with their Cubs jerseys on can't. Uh, they they won't let me get a, a ticket because they they take them all. I'm like, yeah, I'll help you out, man. I'll help you out. So. It was a good time, man. I hope we can get there one day again. Yeah, no kidding. I appreciate it while we had it. Yeah, it was great. But moving on, I went on to last word on sports, looking at Lucas Reichel's scouting report, because, you know, I want to know, you know, where is this kid at? You know, he's he's been highly touted, and I wonder if he will even have an opportunity to make the, you know, the team this year. Uh, I've, I've seen a lot of people, you know, maybe – He's going to make the team. Maybe Borgstrom might make the team. But today we're going to talk about Lucas Reichel. And um, I've got a scouting report here, and they they mention his skating uh, is, is one of his strong suits. And they say, uh, Reichel is a very good skater. He shows good speed and power in his stride. His explosive first step and good acceleration make, his, make him dangerous off the rush. He also has a very good agility and edge work, allowing him to make quick cuts and get away from defenders, both with and without the puck. Reckless skating makes him tough to contain in one-on-one situations. He also has a very strong lower body for his age. He can fight through checks and get to the dirty areas of the ice. Reckle has very good balance. It's tough to knock him off the puck. He could stand He could stand to build up a stronger upper body, though, as this will help him also win battles for loose pucks. Uh, and, you know, honestly, this is the stuff that you want to hear. You know, these are the kind of... You know, like yeah. the uh, the skills Attributes. that you want to yeah. hear from a a guy who's who's coming up. You know, the less that he has to work on when he gets to the to the big show, the better. Skating is is one of the most 
you know, basic skills that you're supposed to have. And some people do it really well and some people don't. And you could really tell who the good skaters are. You know, Victor Hedman's an amazing skater. Yeah, with the puck, he's even better. Yeah, crazy. it's, it's yeah. crazy. So his offensive game is Reichel scores the majority of his goals in tight to the net. He has quick hands and can deke a goalie in tight or get the puck up quickly into a tight area. He also can bang in a rebound quickly one time a pass or deflect in a teammate's shot. From further out, his wrist shot is very accurate and features a good release. Reichel's quick hands allow him to toe drag and quickly change the angle before shooting. His shot also has decent power. This is also true of his one-timer. He gets it off effectively but still has room to add a bit more velocity. As he gets stronger, this may help his game. Reichel can also play a role of a playmaker. His strong possession skills help him to control the puck down low and extend plays. This can help him to set up teammates for scoring chances once they get open. Reichel combines his skating ability with his quick hands, and if a defender gives him a little too much room, he can make a quick move and drive the puck to the net. His soft hands can also lead to a quick dangle and then a pass to a teammate. He is also as effective forechecker, pressuring defenders and forcing them to make mistakes. Once they do, he can quickly take advantage with an excellent vision and knack for knowing where his line mates will be. Now, what I want to say about this is that he is obviously naturally translating his offensive skills to the defensive side of the ice, which is something Patrick Kane didn't do for a very long time. Ten being, years. Yeah. yeah, being able to play on one side of the ice and then go to the other side of the ice to create offensive opportunities. And uh, this kid is doing it, and, and that's uh, those are really, really good things to hear. His defensive game. Reichel's defensive game is a bit of a work in progress. He needs to be more consistent in keeping his feet moving in the defensive zone. Reichel has a tendency to be caught flat-footed at times, which lets his man get away from him and, and be open for a pass. There are other times where he supports the defense down low and applies effective back pressure against the rush. Other times he can leave the defensive zone early, looking for the long stretch pass to create something in the transition game. Reichel is a smart enough player in the offensive end that he should be able to play better defensively once he matures and is coached effectively on his responsibilities. So, kind of a little canish right there, you know, kind of uh, hanging out at around the blue line, ready to get a pass. Yeah. He- you know, headed in the other direction. He's young, man. You know, obviously he's he's offensive. Uh, he's offensive oriented. But playing the defensive game is what keeps you in the NHL, man. What do you think? Yep, yep, that's true. Uh, who did you say his comparable was? Current NHL player, Mike Hoffman. Mike Hoffman. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of teams Not skills like, wise, just like his style of play. Style. Okay. Yeah. Well, he's a good player, and I think Mike Hoffman's best days were down in Florida with the Panthers, and um, he was he incredibly scored. consistent while he was with them. And he was with Ottawa too, and he was he did pretty well. And um, I mean, yeah, I think Mike Hoffman, um, you know, he was solid with the with the Panthers. Uh, the Blues really liked him, and he signed a really cap friendly deal. I thought last year, I think he was at four mil four mil for one year, right? And I think his numbers were pretty comparable to Taylor Hall, who made eight million. Wow! And yeah, that. So I think that was an article I read over uh, last last free agency saying like, well, why would you overpay for Taylor Hall when Mike Hoffman is right there in numbers, I think, and age? 100%. And this, this guy, I mean, I know he has some off-ice off ice issues and stuff with 
that whole thing with Eric Carlson. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. You can look past it because Eric Carlson sucks. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, it's really funny, man. You know, Mike Hoffman was incredibly consistent while, you know, during his heyday, you know. Yeah. We'll see how he bounces back this year. Yeah, Montreal this year, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see how he bounces back this year. But um, because he, he didn't, I you know, he, he wasn't very, how do you say, he wasn't noticeable during yeah, his time with the Blues. Yeah. Well, the Blues play a different style. You know, they Joe Quinville got a different style in Florida. And he succeeded down there. I think he had, I want to say he had like 30 to 35 goals. Wow. And I, I, I'm i pretty sure he, he scored a lot down there. He was definitely a shooter. And St. Louis, they don't really have, you know, they don't, I mean, beside Tarasenko, he's like the only guy that puts up, you know, 30, 30 goals. And they, they play more of a team game. And uh, that's why they win, man. You know, they just, uh, it's a different, you're, you're not going to get, you're not going to get a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of goals and points in St. Louis, but I think it's almost going to be the same for him in Montreal because they don't really, beside that kid, uh, what's his name, uh, Cole Caulfield? Yeah. And then you got that Suzuki guy. Maybe they're going to throw Hoffman on the top line with them just to, because uh, I, I don't think they have many goal scorers. If it, and they they rely on Carey Price in the defense. Yep, they rely yeah. on Carey Price, man. Carey Price way too much. Yeah, they're taking years off that guy's life. <laughs> I I guess they figure for ten million. You know, that's kind of what he signed up for. You know. Yeah, Seattle was smart not to take him. Man, in that draft they were just uh, yeah. I dare you to take him, and Ron Francis is probably like, yeah, I'm not going to do you any favors. Yeah, no kidding. Signing. Signing garbage contracts. Do you think that you know? Look at what he did with Montreal last year. Do you think that his his uh, contract's a garbage contract? I I think ten million's a lot for a goalie. I mean, and he he's when he signed it. What did he do before that to get that? He was just. I mean, he was just regarded as the best goalie in the league. That's that's why he got it. I, He's he's a damn good goalie. He makes unbelievable saves. I I mean, if if it came down to Game Seven, uh, Stanley Cup Final, I'm putting Vasilevsky in 100 percent of the time over him. That guy is a gamer, and you I I recently saw a tweet of him and Patrick Waugh's first. Uh, I think they're I think he's at like 200 something games, and he has better numbers than Waugh right now. Vasilevsky does. Vasilevsky has better numbers than Wah. Yes. Do you think Wah had as good of a team as Vasilevsky did in Montreal or Montreal. Colorado? Yes, Montreal was good, man. They I would. Had... I mean, I would say that Colorado is probably more similar to the Tampa Bay Lightning? now. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that one. Yeah, you have your your two superstars, Sakic and Forsberg. Like, I guess you could say point and. Kucherov, maybe, maybe Stamkos, maybe. No, man. I, I mean, I think Sakic is was better than both of them. No doubt about it. Yeah, six hundred goals. <laughs> um, he's he's a great captain. He's I, I think dependable. Kuch- you know, he Kucherov could compare to probably Forsberg, but I think Kucherov's going to be a better player. Just, yeah, we'll see how the injuries are, but Forsberg was always hurt. 
Yeah, he but was an amazing player, amazing player. And but as for the goal, the goaltending, I I think it's kind of fair if you think about it. I mean, I know Wah has four cups, but he's got two with Tampa. Let's see if Tampa can win anymore. I, I think that Tampa could. Oh, I mean, I, he had he had two with he had two with Colorado, right? Two with Colorado and two with Montreal. Right, yep. right, yep. And he had one bad game in Montreal that <laughs> forced him out, which is a a crazy game. The Red Wings just lit him up, and I guess the coach kept him in there. And while I was getting pissed, he walked over to the owner and he said, "I'm done. Trade me." Next, next, uh, he didn't play the next game. He was traded to traded to Colorado, and they won two cups there. Yeah, that was it. It's insane. Well, that was cool, man. Great team. Do you got anything else going for today? Yeah, man, it's just a slow, slow in the NHL. I mean, I think Sam Reinhart signed a three-year extension with the Panthers. Oh yeah, Mike Hardman, Blackhawks, yeah. two years, eight hundred k a year. You know, I think that's a good move for Florida, though. I uh, Reinhart, I think he had twenty goals in Buffalo, and forty points or something. I think he's definitely happy to be out of that mess and down to a contender. I think Florida's a contender. Yeah. So we. Who do you who do you got in that division still? Do you think Tampa's still the powerhouse, or do you think yeah, yeah, or yeah. Uh, Carolina? I think Carolina. No. I think Carolina got better. No, I see. I see Tampa still rolling straight over on man. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, they they only lost uh, Yanni Gord, and he's he knows he's a key player, but does don't, doesn't Tampa? Aren't they like still way over the cap? Uh, I think they're getting close. They're pretty close to getting under it. But, okay. um, you know, th- the thing about Carolina was that it wasn't talent that did them in. It was a lack of discipline. They kept on g- going yep. into the box, yep. and Tampa kept on lighting them up on the power play, man. I think the goaltending was a little weak, too. Yeah, I mean, but he's a rookie. I, and I, he was I, still good. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I think like the main thing that did them in was their lack of discipline and going into the penalty box and Tampa made them pay. Yeah. Dude, I, I want to say, man, 95% of the time. Yeah, they were playing with fire. The yeah. best power play in the game. And it's just, if you're going to keep doing it, they're going to eventually score. Yeah, it was you like can't. every game they had like three power play goals. You know, And you're leaving an elite talent open. And then one of them, I mean, and, yeah. and one of them, they were up, I think, four to one. They yeah. were four to one and then it became five to two. And then Tampa stormed back and won that game. You know, it's yeah, like you it's, can't do that. No, you can't. You're up five to two in a playoff game. The other team comes down and beats you. Yeah, that's that's really what you want to let happen. Let them get that kind of confidence. Yeah, I, I think I could see them, Tampa and Carolina, Florida being the the three there. Yeah, I don't see anybody else really doing much. Yeah, I don't either. Yeah. But um. Yeah, man. Let's uh, say another prayer for Troy Murray because yeah. uh, he's got a battle coming, and you know he he's a tough dude, one of the best shutdown centers of the the Blackhawks franchise, and I think him and Davey Bolin are one and two. I don't know who's one and two, but we're gonna give it to Troy today. Yeah, maybe we should give it to Troy, man. I mean, he was he was an excellent defensive uh defensive center man yeah he was a man and i think that's why him and Bolin get along so well it's pretty cool they're they're like they had a good relationship they're always joking with each other uh-huh. on twitter i see and it's like they're, they're they're from the same mold you know they're they're tough 
they're going to work and they're going to work hard every night. And that's what both of them did. And they're, I, I would have loved to see Troy Murray get a Stanley cup with, uh, as a player, but I'm glad he, he's got three rings on now anyway. Hell yeah. He's great broadcaster. You know, I, I think that there's, there's a lot of an honor in getting it. If you're in the press box, if you're a coach, if you're a, yeah. Uh, you know, if if you're in the organization still, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah, the, all the glory goes to you being on the ice and lifting the cup. But if, if you have a career and you've given your your career to that team, you know, and you're still with that team doing, you know, um, sponsorship deals with them and, and coming out and signing autographs and stuff like that. And you're an ambassador for the team and you get a ring. You know, I, I think that there's a lot of honor in that, man. For sure, man. He, uh, he. I think he was on the radio when I first got my season tickets in '06. I think I'm not. He might have been on before that, but I remember listening to him on the way home from games. They used to be on the score, and then they jumped over to WGN. But uh, he, I loved his post game stuff. Just listening to him, and you know, when I didn't have access to the games, I I would always get the uh, WGN app and. Him and uh, Weidemann calling the game. I even had a radio I used to listen to. Those those guys are great, man. Like I, Sometimes, I know it sounds mean, but I felt like muting the TV and putting those guys on. Just because it felt like a, they, weren't, they, weren't, they don't mess around. They're like, they call a great game. Yeah, they do. I think they, they call an excellent game. Mm-hmm. And I think that it was only natural for them to make it to the, to the, uh, to the press backs calling the games after after Foley retires, but who knows what's going to happen now? Yeah, I mean, I, I, he'd be the first person I'd call. Right. Troy Murray, Troy Murray, and John Wideman, great team. So, all right, guys, that's all that we got for you tonight. Do us a flavor, follow us on Twitter if you're not, and Facebook uh, at Tomahawk Chicago, and uh, and and come and talk to us. We're we're talking hockey. We're always talking hockey, and uh, we love doing it. So, uh, we'll catch you on the next one. Well, next one will be out on Tuesday. And be sure to check out the FHN website. We released a article uh, last Sunday. And check out our last article. Um, it's under under articles, Chicago Tomahawk. Check it out. We'll catch you next time. This is Tomahawk. We're out of here.